University's talk show, Taking Old School Viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to myself? Hello, neighbor, and welcome to Folk U Radio, where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? Folk University is an experiment in neighborliness, in slow learning, in using our interests, skills, and beliefs as a way of connecting and bringing each other closer in community. Today, we are talking about sociocracy a holistic form of governance that uses consent decision-making and a linked circle structure to distribute power through an organization while supporting efficiency and clarity. Our guest today, Tamius, is practicing using sociocracy to organize the parts of its own psyche. And that turns out to be a powerful self-therapy technique with some unexpected lessons to offer. And today, we don't just have a special guest, we have special guest hosts who are in training from the Cortez Island Academy. Three students who are behind the scenes here with me, and if we're lucky, who will also join us on the microphone for a bit as part of their course. Where are you listening from today, neighbor? Who are the people that have walked and cared for the land, the water, and the air where you live, work, and play? Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Glahus, Klaman, and Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank this land, the people who have walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love and work to honor this place we call home. All right, because we have special guest hosts today, we're going to do something a bit unusual. I am going to introduce myself as we would at a typical day of the Cortez Island Academy podcasting course, and then we will have our guest host introduce ourselves, and then we will end with our guest, Tamius, who will introduce itself. In our introductions, we will each say our names, our pronouns, and why we are here today. So I'm going to start. So you, as a listener, are getting to have the experience of what it's like to be uh, in a Cortez Island Academy podcasting class where we do this kind of thing all the time. And so I am here today. My name is Manda O'Fox Gillespie. My pronouns, my chosen pronouns are she, her. And I am here today to be the host of Folk University. And one moment as I get a microphone and pass it around to my my friendly uh, guest hosts. I'm Coralie um, and she, her. And why are you here today, Coralie? Um, I'm here because we have um, 
school project and I want a good grade. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also because it's fun. Very honest. I'm Sophie, pronouns she, her. And I'm here for the second time because it was fun last time. I'm Sonia, my pronouns are she, her, and I am here to get my participation grade and because I'm excited to learn about the radio. And Tamius. Hi, my name is Tamius. My preferred pronoun is it. Um, I'm here today, really I'm following up on a Folk U event that happened in early 2020 about local governance for Cortez. And I joined a research committee at the end of that meeting that was at the hall down here to look at what, what healthy, wholesome local governance could look like on Cortez. And the research committee fell apart and we blamed it on COVID. But I think the real reason that the research committee fell apart was because we didn't know how to govern ourselves as a research committee about governance, which was pretty funny when I figured it out. But I kept researching on my own because with or without the committee, I still wanted to know what could wholesome governance look like. And about a year ago, I came across sociocracy and I was so excited. I was like, this is it. It has clarity. It has efficiency. And it has equivalence. It doesn't have equality, like it doesn't go overboard on trying to make everyone more equal than we are, but it has a good balance of power. And that's exciting because that's what I was looking for. So I'm here to talk about it some more. I love that you also just you pulled out this idea of equivalence versus equality. Um, I feel like there's so many things that we can talk about today, and I'm hoping we can start with, and I know we're going to go to a more personal place, but let's start with a flushing out this idea of classical sociocracy as a governance tool. Um, can you lead us down a little bit more of how it would actually work if we were using it um, as a as a governance structure on this island, or if your committee had known about the structure and were using it in a committee? Um, yeah, I like that as an example. If I'd known about sociocracy when I joined that governance committee, um, the first things to do would have been to get group consent on a few basic how we're going to work together, who's working together and how. So consent to membership is a big deal in sociocracy. It's not whoever shows up is part of the group. It's when there's a group that comes together and agrees, these are the people who are working together, each of these people is willing to work with each other person in this group, that forms a circle that can work together. And if we don't have that consent, then there are interpersonal tensions that can come in and get dragged into issues that aren't really, um, like there can... Interpersonal tensions can get experienced in relation to content that actually have nothing to do with content. So the consent to work together is a first step that to make sure that we're not bringing our interpersonal stuff into our work together. So that's 
one thing, and then um, an agreement to use consent decision-making as our default and, I want to say, top-of-the-hierarchy decision-making method, because in sociocracy, there's not a person who's at the top of the hierarchy, but decisions made by consent override decisions made in other ways. And consent means that everyone in the group, in the circle, understands what the decision is, and nobody has a, um, they call it a reasoned and paramount objection. So nobody has an objection, but an objection to qualify as an objection and, and stop a decision being adopted has to be reasoned, like it has to make sense to the other people in the group. And a paramount objection means the person raising the objection doesn't think they can work with the group if the group makes this decision. So that makes it much more efficient than many versions of consensus where we talk on and on trying to get the perfect solution. A solution, a, a decision, a consent decision is just good enough for now. If it's good enough for now for everyone in the group, that's a decision that's made and we work with it until we make a different decision. Um, so if I were, yeah, in a committee just starting working together, I'd ask, can we all consent to consent decisions being our highest level of decision making? And then the third thing would be speaking in rounds. And I really wish that the governance committee, governance research committee had used this because it just means the talking turn goes around the circle. It doesn't mean you have to talk on your turn. People can take longer turns or shorter turns or pass. But it means that everyone gets a turn. And that way, either we're speaking or we're listening. And we know which. And we're not trying to do both at the same time because we know whether it's our turn or not. And we get to hear everybody's voice if, when they have something to say. In bigger organizations, there's a system of linking the circles because a circle has to be small enough to work together, which is maximum 40 people in some situations and maximum 8 or 10 in other situations, depending on what they're doing together. So if there were more than 15 or 20 people in an organization, then it would need to divide into multiple circles so that circle meetings wouldn't have too many people. I think that's the general overview. So can you give us um, some specific examples of models uh, you know, organizations, places, situations where this is being used right now? Yeah, it's been quite well tested in the Netherlands. And I'm considering learning Dutch so that I can read up on organizations that are using it because it's much newer to the English speaking world. But there's an electrical company, I forget the name in the Netherlands, that's been successfully using sociocracy for decades. There are a couple schools in the Netherlands that have been using it for a long time. There's um, I think there are many neighborhoods that have like a sociocratic neighborhood council also in the Netherlands. I haven't found one that uses English that I would be able to read through what they're doing. There's one eco-village using sociocracy in BC. It's in Powell River. I think it's about 10 years old. Maybe not even. And there are some schools and other organizations, alternative schools are the one that I remember, in North America that are recently adopting sociocracy. 
and so, many of them are having some struggles with it, I think, largely because it works best when everyone is trained in sociocracy, and it's an, a big investment to get everyone in the school, including hopefully most of the students, trained in a basic level of sociocracy so that a meeting can run smoothly, just in terms of the basic structure of a meeting. Okay, so um, I know that you are not a uh, an expert in the outside world in sociocracy, but... You are my expert today in sociocracy. So could could we play this out a little bit? Because, for instance, I'm curious about using it in a school. We have Cortez Island Academy. I am now the facilitator today um, at the Cortez Island Academy, and I have some students um, from the Cortez Island Academy. So I'm, I'm curious, what would this look like? if we were to use it in a school or in schools where they're using it, because there is this weird thing in schools that's not quite right, but also you see how it happens where there's the head of the school, right? Like there's the principal, there's the teacher, and these are all kind of at the top of the hierarchy. And then there's students, and then most schools, it's just sort of like the teachers and the principals tell you how it is. So what would that look like if you were using sociocracy? And then how do you deal with situations where um, uh, you maybe come up with things that um, might be in major conflict with what a principal would usually want? Yeah. Part of what's going on with schools is that there are outside constraints and As I understand it in the school system, there are multiple levels of outside constraints. There might be what students want to do, but then the teacher has a kind of veto in the current system. But then there might be what teachers want to do, and then they have the principal potentially vetoing what they want to do. And then principals answer to, I guess, a school district. And even the school districts have the Ministry of Education potentially coming along and bulldozing whatever they're doing without a lot of warning, because that's how the power structure is. So to organize a school sociocratically, the people actually in the school have to understand that they're working together to deal with those outside constraints and not to ignore the constraints or the school might just cease to exist. So with that in mind, I see no reason why a school couldn't have um, its own decision-making system. Maybe it would have a teacher's circle. Um, maybe it would have, maybe each class would be a circle and would make decisions for the class. And then if there's one adult teacher and a bunch of kids, then that's who's in the class circle. Um, but it would have double linking from each circle to the circles that interacts with. So the teacher would not be the only link between a class circle and the teacher's circle. There would be usually a a teacher and a student as links between the class circle and the teacher circle. And that means that a student from each class would be representing that class at meetings of the teacher circle. Does that answer your question or was there more to fill out there? Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about um, circles because now we're starting to see the circle method. So when you get in more complex systems like a large school, Um, you're kind of alluding to there would be different circles. So how would those all layer up to have um, form? 
in the air. I was making this sort of Christmas tree hierarchy thing, and I saw, I noticed Tamias kind of being, uh, we're going to have to go back. <laughs> so the idea of a circle, Manda. <laughs> so I think I didn't get into role selection yet, which is a really cool element of sociocracy that selects people for roles. And those can be roles of substantial power, or they can be any old role. Um, So if we were a class in a school, then as a class, we'd be selecting a leader for the or a coordinator of the class circle, and a delegate or representative of the class circle. And those would be the two people who link the class circle to the circle that can be thought of as I'm thinking of the teacher's circle as higher in the hierarchy, but it's really also more central or has a broader focus, and the class circle has a more specific focus. So say we want to elect a representative, and maybe we've already decided that the teacher is the coordinator for this class, because maybe that's what everyone's comfortable with. Um, We would have a round of nominations. Well, first we'd make sure everyone understands the role, what the task of the representative is. And that then we would have a round of nominations where everyone writes down one name, and that's just who they would select for that role if it were up to them to make the decision in that moment, who do they think would be best for that role. And after everyone's written down a name... Then we go around the circle and each person says who they nominated and why. And then there's a change round where if anyone changed their mind based on what they heard in the nomination round, they tell us who they switched to and why. And then there's an interesting part that has been unfamiliar to people who are more used to democracy, which is that based on hearing the nomination round and the change round, the facilitator gets to nominate someone. And it's totally up to the facilitator how they make that decision. And so if I were facilitating, I might say, okay, I heard um, I heard a strong reason for nominating Sophie. I suggest that we do a consent round on Sophie being our class representative. And then we drop the topic of anyone else and we just talk about whether having Sophie in that role is good enough for now. And then we have a consent round. And then the consent round is can be difficult because if someone has a reason why they really don't think that Sophie can handle that role or they would be really uncomfortable for Sophie to handle that role, this is their time to speak up and it's their responsibility to speak up and say, I object to selecting Sophie for this role and here's why. And then it's up to the circle to figure out whether that's a reasoned objection. But if it is, we don't give up on the idea that Sophie could fill that role. We talk about how we might integrate the objection. So is there a change in the role that would make it easier to fill? Uh, does this person, are they generally the person we want in that role, but they need a bit of training? Is the role uh, not clear enough 
like what was our role description at the beginning not clear enough and someone doesn't quite understand what they're selecting a person for, which hopefully would be addressed at the beginning, but that could come up as an objection at the end. So we try and integrate objections and then it's up to the facilitator to decide whether to switch to considering a different person for the role or whether to keep working with objections. And working with objections is maybe the most demanding process for the facilitator because there's a lot of responsibility for keeping the focus on the objection and how we can resolve it. And emotions can get high and it's up to the facilitator to keep on track, but also to decide if there's a time to switch to a different idea. Um, and then if we can resolve all the objections, then congratulations, Sophie, you're the new class representative. <laughs> or if we can't, if the facilitator decides that we're going to, that they're going to nominate someone else, they just do that. They say, oh, well, maybe it'd be better to have Tamius. Like, let's, cons let's do a consent round on having Tamius fill this role because we've spent some time on these objections and we don't seem to get, be getting anywhere and it sounds like Tamius is another option. And then we go from there. So that's the selection process. And you were asking about the circle structure. So what's important there for the circle structure is that there's a leader, uh, sorry, coordinator and a representative from each circle who are then full members of any circle that is more general and therefore higher in the hierarchy in a way. And so it's not a majority vote and it's not a like a volunteer system. It's the class, everyone in the class has consented to these two people representing them in the teacher's circle. And there are lots of different... Um, there's this other system called Sociocracy 3.0, which is pretty similar to classical sociocracy, but one of the differences is that circles can be linked in all kinds of different networks, lots of different patterns. In classical sociocracy, usually there's a general circle, and then there are department circles, so the general circle at a school would probably be a teacher circle, and then there might be a support staff circle of adults who are not teachers, and then class circles, and those would be the department circles. And if there are more people joining, then the circle structure just has to grow by growing a new circle. And if people leave, or it turns out that two circles have close to the same domain and are making decisions on close to the same things and maybe stepping on each other's toes a bit, we might need to merge those circles, which means that the, a large circle structure can look a little bit like an amoeba, like it has this biological look to it. If you watch it graphed out over time where circles are budding off new circles that tend to start small and if a circle shrinks, then maybe it gets absorbed into its parent circle, which is the, the circle closer to the general circle is a parent circle and then the circle that is more specific farther out is called a child circle. So... Um a lot of this I can imagine because I like to spend a lot of time thinking about governance, even though I don't always feel like then when I'm in positions of leadership that I'm able to execute them. So one of my questions that I have is from your research and what you're seeing um, in the world, 
can this still be effective, sociocracy, can it still be effective when, for instance, say we wanted to do the Cortez Island Academy, which has 20 students, um, you know, not even one single full-time teacher, facilitate, you know, it's small, it's small. And it's within a structure that is not sociocratic. Can you still have success in doing sociocracy with your committee or your little group or your organization, even though it exists in a larger structure that is not sociocratic? I think it depends on your definition of success. With a group like the Cortez Island Academy, there's a fragility where there are a bunch of people who are never going to show up to one of your meetings who have the power to shut down your program or change it dramatically without really asking consent of the group. Um, But with acknowledgement of that constraint, I see no reason why the students and the staff, uh, the the facilitators of any particular component, um, I know adults shift over time in Cortez Island Academy, but whoever's there could be a circle and could have circle meetings. I think um, it would... Either everyone would need a bit of training on sociocracy before you go into your first meeting using sociocracy, or you'd need an experienced facilitator who's actually facilitated sociocratic meetings before. Uh, Otherwise, it just feels awkward and we get caught up in process and don't get through much content. Okay, so if you're sold, or you're not sold yet, but you just want to go out and learn more, how can people learn more or get, um, you know, even better someone who would come and kind of help their organization use this in the classical sense? There's, there are some resources online for people who handle screen time and videos really well. I think you could learn quite a lot online. There's an organization called Sociocracy for All. I don't remember their URL, but it's a web page. And they offer free courses occasionally that I think are over Zoom or some similar platform where you can go and practice being in a meeting with other people in a virtual meeting. All right. So I'm going to give us a a very short break because we're about to go deep in. Right. We're going to talk about um, how a really out-of-the-box way that Tamius has been using the ideas of sociocracy for self-work, which are pretty exciting. Um, So how about we have a break where if you're listening and want to call in and ask about classical sociocracy uh, and how this might be useful or other resources, you may do that. You can call in to 250-935-0200. Zero, zero. You're listening to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM or on the web at cortezradio.ca. We're talking about sociocracy and we're going some new places with it with Tamius and some guest hosts from the Cortez Island Academy. I hope you'll stay tuned and join us for the next part of this conversation. We strolled through fields all wet with rain And back along the lane again There in the sunshine In the sweet summertime The way that young 
Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM and on the great World Wide Web at CortezRadio.ca. We have a special Folk U today where we have both guest hosts and a guest. 
Our guest today is Tamius, and we are talking about sociocracy, and we're about to go some new places with sociocracy. And we have three students here from the Cortez Island Academy helping be guest hosts. So you'll also hear their voices later. Tamius, thank you again for being here with us. We just had a little bit of an overview on sociocracy and what it is in the classical sense as a governance structure. And now you're about to take us somewhere new, which is how sociocracy in your case has also been useful as a way of exploring in your own self, your own inner self and working with yourself more. Can you take us, can you begin to take us in the deep dive into how you've been using this? Sure, I guess so. <laughs> so um, the the context like the fertile ground that this seed grew in is that I was really excited about sociocracy, really wanting to practice sociocracy with other people and really struggling to pull together enough other people to make a circle and work together on something. So I'd been looking for a group to work with on any project that we all care about as an exercise in sociocracy. But that was very much on the back burner because I had some stressful things going on in my life and something that I thought I was working on doing that I thought was going to resolve some of my problems that I just couldn't make headway on. I would pick up my tools and I would go to that project and I'd be ready to work on the thing. And I was like, I don't feel like doing this, but I need this to happen. I think I need this to happen. I don't understand what's going on. I'm going to give up and go home because this feels bad. And at some point, I thought, oh, this is how a group behaves if there's a conflict that's not explicit enough. If there's a conflict in a group about a project and not enough people in the group are clear about what the conflict is, then from the outside of the group, it looks like they're showing up to do something, they're not getting it done, they're leaving, they're maybe not showing up the next day it's slow and stuck and confusing. So so I asked myself, what's the conflict? Because I know there are many parts of my psyche, and I got that from internal family systems therapy, which I dropped out of after a handful of sessions because professional therapy doesn't actually work on me. They, they say that some patients resist therapy, but actually there are people it doesn't work on. And, but I had a few sessions and got this concept of many different parts of my psyche that function like a group, like a team, or sometimes not like much of a team. So I recognized that opportunity to use sociocracy because I needed a way to facilitate, not just for a couple different parts of my psyche, but for any part that wanted to show up for a meeting because I didn't know what the conflict was. I was really confused about why I couldn't focus on this project. So um, so I sat down with pencil and paper when my baby was asleep, my five-year-old baby, and I went, okay, who's here for this meeting? And the first two characters to me are the Empress and the Witch from my story that I recorded a year or two ago, because the Empress is the right side of my body and the left hemisphere of my brain. And the witch represents the right hemisphere of my brain and the left side of my body. And I had worked before with my right and left hand, writing things by hand and 
my right hand totally shows up as the empress and my left hand is the very different character of the witch and it's quite fun sometimes and very useful sometimes to get them both to have a conversation about especially about something I'm struggling with or um, confused about so the empress was invited and the witch was invited and then I'm like I think there are more characters involved in this right now so I pulled in about 20 other characters from the story about the Empress and the Witch. So there's the Empress, there's the Witch, there's the Messenger, there's the Third Imperial Slipper Fetcher. It was important to invite her. There's the First Imperial Executive High Minister for everything. There's the guard at the door. There's the Witch's great-grandmother who had died well before the story started. And the Empress's papa who was also dead several years before the story started, and all these characters that don't show up in the version of the story that I recorded, which feels a little bit like uh, the original Empress and the Witch that I recorded is like The Hobbit. It's this contained story that's mostly appropriate for kids. But there's a whole Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion and all the rest of it going on behind the scenes. So a bunch of those characters came to the meeting. I forget whether there was any, anyone else... Um, since then I've started sometimes inviting in like ancestors, memes, energy beings that are not part of Tamius. And it's become important when a, when a voice shows up for a meeting and wants a turn to write, I ask them, are you a part of Tamius? And they can be at the meeting, but if they're not a part of Tamius, they don't get consent rights. I can make a a consent decision for Tamius without the input of the spirit of the cedar tree who just showed up and talked at the meeting, but is not a part of Tamius. So that was collecting parts of Tamius. And then I think I went through the whole proposal forming process. So we had a few rounds on what are the needs we're trying to meet here. And then um, there's this process called picture forming. So there was... There was collecting needs and synthesizing the, synthesizing those into a need statement. Here are the things that are important, the needs that we're trying to address. And then before we get into how to address those needs, there's what are the questions that a well-rounded proposal will answer. So I collected a couple pages of dimensions of the proposal. What do I need to know? Uh, an obvious one was, are we carrying on with this project? Are we pausing this project or are we giving up on this project and giving away the materials to somebody else and then a lot of the questions that came up in picture forming which is collecting the questions that the proposal has to answer were about communication what do I tell this person what do I tell that person what do I tell that person because there were so many other people directly involved or peripherally involved in the project I was feeling conflicted about and some questions about self-governance came up because I had just launched into forming a proposal with a group that had never had a sociocratic meeting before. So we didn't have the basic governance figured out. And if it were a group of separate individuals, then that would have been a stupid mistake. And we would have had to rewind, pause the project completely, go, OK, we're going to have three meetings in a row just on how we work together. But hopefully the parts of Tamius have been working together kind of reasonably well most of the time. So I had skipped the explicit self-governance. And then I found that there were some things that I 
still needed to address. And I think I ended up sorting those proposal dimensions and making three or four different proposals that I ran separate consent processes on. Yeah, that was how I started. Okay, so I'm just going to stumble through and then you correct me when I get things really off. Okay, so you had a real world uh, external project you're working on that um, you realized that there were internal things that were getting in the way from you being able to show up too. And that's when you called your first sociocratic meeting of Tamias. And so then in that meeting, parts of Tamias came. And you've already done more work than probably most people on thinking about yourself uh, in a visual kind of named iconic way. Um, so that you could actually imagine yourself as different parts, um, including parts that most of us are pretty unaware of being there because we think, oh, we must just be one. Uh, what are we talking about parts? Um, so you'd already done some background work. You were already comfortable with this idea um, of of working with yourself in parts. And then when you brought yourself together to work um in a sociocratic way on on this did you did you immediately go so i like did you immediately go to the external problem i'm out he like you know things aren't going well in this meeting why or did you like it sounds to me like you were actually kind of coming up with part of the meetings were just actually understanding how to define the problem is that is that true and is that also a a part of sociocracy that we would be using in the external world too of like even defining why why you're here yeah certainly if you were using sociocracy in the external world in a new group then don't bring any content into the first meeting the first meeting is not about getting work done it's about forming the group, consent to membership. Does everyone understand consent decision-making? Do we have consent on deci- consent decision-making? Can we agree to speak in rounds? And a bunch of details that go with that. Uh, possibly selecting coordinator and facilitator, but maybe even that is in the second meeting. Maybe the group needs a second meeting of no content, nothing about the work. We're talking, how do we work together? Um, I think a really important part of an uh, an interpersonal, external sociocratic organization working together well is to agree on a vision and a mission. And when we're different people living different lives, coming together to work on something, we need to go over, we need to co-create a vision, a mission a list of values and aims for the organization. And aims are like more specific missions. And we need all of those before we bring in the content, which is what do we do with this project? 
uh, for me, I was skipping a lot of that. And I skipped a little bit too much. And so then I was backtracking in the middle of holding a meeting about the project. I was backtracking and finding that things about my self-governance, how I ran the meeting, but uh, like the the power, my internal power structure and value system and vision for myself and mission in the world were coming in as questions where if I'd worked through those beforehand, those could have come in as just simple statements that I was reminding myself of. Okay, so if you're out, if you're listening to this right now and you haven't already turned it off because you're like, well, this is new but interesting. And in fact, I'm so interested that I want to go home and give it a try, but I'm not super familiar with internal family systems or sociocracy. Can you give me like the next week of how I'm actually beginning to set up my internal council based on Tamius's experience? Um, if it's easy for you, teach your left hand how to write or your non-dominant hand how to write. <laughs> if it's not easy for you, uh, your non-dominant hand might be content with drawing, but some kind of visual expression of the side that's not used to writing. Uh, that was where I started before I even got into internal family systems, where I started working with parts of myself was getting my hands to take turns and have a conversation in writing about, and it was about an issue that was really tough at the time. And it was super helpful because here's the empress with my right hand and she's writing what she's used to writing and she's busy running an empire. So she doesn't have a lot of like step back and look at the larger picture. And she's used to running this empire for years and years. And so she has her ways of doing things. And then the pencil my left hand actually came and grabbed the pencil sometimes because that was the witch coming in and being like, actually, there's this other thing. Let's consider that this and that. Or sometimes, Tamius, it's time to go to bed. Try this tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so after I get over my, oh, no, I can't do anything with my left hand, um, and I've given myself permission to uh, experiment um, would that be bilaterally? Ambidextrous. Am, okay, ambidextrously. Um, then what next? Like, am I actually bringing a question to to a specific question, or is that even too much too soon? I'd say that's too much too soon. If you've got both hands writing, or if you have a hand that really doesn't want to write, then just invite it to draw. I hear that we have a call. Should we pause and address that? No? Okay. Um, yeah, if your left hand or, yeah, if your left hand doesn't really, really, really doesn't want to write, then it can draw. Or or just try writing and learn gradually. I spent my time in factory school learning how to write with my left hand because it was so boring and there was so much writing to do. Um, so that's just two members. And... I think the next question would be, who else is coming to this meeting? Who, just are there any other parts of me that want to be at this meeting? And I don't know exactly how you'd sense other parts of yourself, 
for me, it's quite clear, but I've been working with parts of myself for quite a while. Um, and then probably a good next step would be to ask the parts that are at the meeting, however many that is, what questions they need to bring in. And those might not be clear questions that are easy to work on, but to hear, to have a round of what issues do you want help with from other parts of me? And then you have a list of issues that parts of you want more cooperation with, and you can go from there. Okay. That's really, I, f I feel like that's actually possible. And we did it even with the phone ringing. Um, I am going to assume that someone not actually calling in to ask a question, but if you are just dying to ask a question, I am going to leave time where we'll play music so you can call back um, and ask a question. So my next question, um, because this is not entirely working as a sociocratic <laughs> show, <laughs> um, is tell, tell us a little bit more about how, like now as a really skilled worker of sociocracy for your own internal system, how can you use it now? Like how can you dip into that or what does it look like as someone who gets skilled with this? Right. I wouldn't call myself really skilled. I have put in about 20, 30 hours. Yeah, about 20 hours over the last month, usually late at night, running meetings. And I'm still referring to my sociocracy book quite often for help with situations. Though I'm also, I was really excited the other night when I didn't have to look up the consent process because I had it figured out as to what rounds need to happen to have a consent decision. Um, but you're asking what, sorry, you're asking what next? Well, or, or like, what, or what am I working with now? Yeah. Yeah. Like, or how can you use it? You know, it, uh, what I am hearing, but I'm, some of this is just me imagining into it is it sounds a bit laborious at first where I'm like, oh no, that seems like a lot of time that I'm going to have to put into it. But I sounds to me like now you're at a place where it's actually, seems like a pretty useful tool that maybe you can dip into um, without it being so laborious. But I'm, a little bit, I kind of want you to reassure me. Like, does it get to be a useful tool <laughs> where you could dip into it without it taking, you know, 30 hours of me needing to teach my left hand how to do something? <laughs> I'm certainly finding it useful. It's really great when I can have a consent decision of parts of myself and then I can go out into the world and say, this is what I think and know that that is what all the available parts of me think. It makes it really um, easy for me to act on a decision when I have internal consent about it. Uh, it's also been really therapeutic. I've been, I've had a really, really rough last couple months as far as external events, and I've been internally feeling much more grounded and clear and able to manage from day to day and parent from day to day because the parts of, the various parts of my psyche, including ones that often get frustrated in day to day life because they don't have a lot of opportunity to express themselves trust that they will have a turn to speak at the next meeting. So that's, I would choose to carry on doing it just for that sense of groundedness and clarity in between meetings. 
what's what I'm noticing happening now is that there are more parts of me. And there are some that didn't show up for the first meeting. And there are some that are still not ready to show up for a meeting. I had one at the most recent meeting that it came through in the meeting process that there was a, a part that hadn't been to a meeting yet. And I was asking, is this part of Tamius? Do you want to show up for the meeting? And it was like, I'm not ready. I'm not. This isn't the phase of Tamius's life where I feel okay showing up. And then there are others that are like, hey, Tamius is using sociocracy. I can show up for a meeting. I can have a chance to speak and be heard and supported by all these other parts of Tamius. And so parts of my psyche, there have been two or three that have shown up with a lot of emotional intensity. And they're parts that I wasn't clearly aware of. Uh, one of them was a, a character in the story about the Empress and the Witch, who was such a bit part that I didn't think I needed to invite them to a meeting. And they were a little bit offended at not being invited. And they showed up a little bit upset and not really able to clearly articulate their issues and what they actually wanted, but also excited that there was this process where exiled parts of my psyche can join in and be integrated and heard and supported. Okay, so what I feel like I hear you saying is that you seem um, more unified, like more whole in some ways, even as you are actually having many more parts of who you are kind of come to your fore awareness, which seems counterintuitive, but I can kind of also see it making sense. Do you want to comment on why it could be that you actually have more parts? Why do you think that you might actually be aware of more parts, but, but seem to be more unified or whole? Well, there's a lot less parts working at cross purposes. I know it happens to me, and I suspect it happens to other people, but I don't want to define anyone else's experience for them, that a part of my psyche will get frustrated, and it'll want attention, and it will act out. It will make me do something strange, or will even give me a headache or a bellyache, or like just do something disruptive to get attention, so that I need to pause and think, why do I have a headache? And then, and that part is hoping that, why do I have a headache? I'll figure out that it's, oh, because it's an exiled part of me that is wanting attention. But even having hap had that happen a couple times, that's not always my response to a headache. And so I think those parts that are showing up, it's not that there are more parts of me. I am more unified because there are fewer exiled parts doing these strange things to try and get the attention of the rest of me. Um, I think I want to share one example of a part that showed up that was not at the first meeting, and that is my self before I came out as queer. So my childhood name was Colleen. I was named Colleen as a baby. And then I changed my name to Tamius when I was about 21, because Colleen is recognizably a female name and literally means little girl in, I think it's some Irish dialect. So I had this name that was Little Girl, and I was growing up, and I was also not identifying as female, and it was time for a new name. So I just stopped using that name completely. And then someone used 
that name, which is no longer my legal name, I changed my legal name to Tanius. Someone used that name in a note that they wrote to me that was intended to be offensive. They were actually using it to try and upset me a few weeks ago. And I was able to take that. A few years ago, that would have been really, really upsetting. And I probably, it probably would have derailed my process of handling what else was going on with this note. But having just started internal sociocracy, I was like, maybe it's time for Colleen to come back as a part of me. And so I invited Colleen to the next meeting and she was happy to be there. And turns out to be an archetype that was missing. Oh yeah, I totally created a circle structure for the parts of my psyche. It doesn't really work very well internally. It works better in external organizations to have many linked circles, but I made a circle structure because there were 27, 28 parts and that's a lot of people to facilitate for. So there's a warrior circle and I noticed that the warrior circle was not doing very well. And But when Colleen showed up, I also noticed the warrior circle was all male identities. It was all male, it was most of the male characters from the story about the Empress and the Witch. And so Colleen is the warrior woman and is now part of the warrior circle and got totally integrated into my sociocratic system and is also somewhat more articulate than anyone else who was in the warrior circle and kind of like a more well-rounded character doing better in a way. So if I'm interested in exploring this edge of sociocracy for my internal systems, for my whole wellness, do you, I have to be as creative as you are? Because I see that you can speak about this sort of story and your, your, um, your parts of yourself and this really kind of iconic language that makes it really accessible and interesting and story-like. If I'm more literal and and that feels like a jump for me, do you think that this still would work? I don't know. I haven't tried it with anyone else. <laughs> I'm really curious to facilitate for other people who are curious about it, uh, like to just take on the facilitator role and go through the process, just hold the structure and help them take turns with different parts speaking. But I haven't founding volunteers yet so I'm looking um I would encourage you to think of yourself as creative enough to do it if you're interested in doing it I think if you didn't have like if you were so literal you weren't you couldn't hold that creative edge that would access different parts you probably wouldn't have thought up inviting me to a folk you to talk about something that I just invented that nobody else is doing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I also think that every human has a lot of creativity. And if they're not experiencing it directly, it's that there's something blocking their access to it. I don't think there are uncreative people in the world. I think there are visual people who struggle with language and kinesthetic people who struggle to express anything visually. And they'll say, I'm not artistic because they don't want to draw, but maybe they want to dance. And so I I really think that everyone has a lot of creativity. This is why I like having you. You're so smart and interesting and creative and kind. 
So, uh, so thank you. Uh, so I want to talk. Um, I want to know, like, now you might be the one person really practicing this in this way. And I hope that when we have music, people are going to call in and say, I want to uh, try this too. Uh, Tamias, help me do that. Um, but tell me the cutting edge. Like, what's next? Like, where might this be going, do you think? Where might it be going? I think my edge at the moment is still integrating parts that feel exiled. There were at least three or four, well, there were three or four parts that have changed their presentation, like changed their um, identified character, so to speak, since I started having the meetings. There are parts that were bit parts in the story that are just named, and I wasn't even sure whether they belong in the meeting, whether they're a full part of Temius, who... Um, and, and several of those were quite similar bit parts who've since expressed that they need to hold some other identity. Uh, one of them was the small child. There are no kids between about one-year-old and about seven or eight in The Empress and the Witch. And there was a part of me, uh, there was a character who was an adult in the story, but a very immature one, who was invited into the meeting as that character from the story. And has turned into the small child part that um, writes with a, like a monkey grip on the pencil. So there's right hand and left hand, but there's also, I can sometimes shift my grip a little bit to feel like I'm a different person writing. And so now someone who was in the warrior circle by default because of their role in the story and the name that I named them with, uh, once they started saying, actually, they're a small child, I was like, oh, that's why that person behaves so poorly in this story, is because they are actually a small child in an adult body who's really good at sword fighting. But they don't need to be in the warrior's circle. They need to hold the pencil like a baby and write really awkwardly and probably not have a large place in meetings, but occasionally they've got something to say. So I think I'm going to continue using sociocracy. I haven't integrated all of the processes and structures that I've read about. So I think I'm going to do some more like clarifying my internal governance structure. And I'm going to carry on spending time inviting those exiled parts of myself into meetings. And I guess the just over the learning edge, what I'm not sure yet how I'm going to handle it is... 28 parts is a lot of parts to facilitate for, especially when some of them are highly emotional and not fully integrated yet. So I do need a way to hold a meeting with fewer parts, but the circle structure isn't quite feeling right. And I'm thinking there might be some different way to handle keeping meetings small enough in internal sociocracy that's different from external sociocracy. There's this obvious difference where if I'm there and I'm focused, I can hopefully access all the different parts of myself. Whereas if we were a team of many different individual humans, we would need to organize meetings so that people know when they're expected to show up for a meeting and when they're not. So I think there's a difference there that I just haven't 
sorted out yet as to how to handle this large group gracefully and efficiently with with the right voices showing up for the right meetings. So as you get to this new edge, I mean, the whole thing is a new edge, right? Because you're trying something that, as, you know, as far as you know, as far as I know, nobody else has tried before in this way. Um, what is, re- like, how do you research or collect new ideas for this? Is it largely the way we do research usually, or do you have other methods Well, I'm still reading about sociocracy. I'm reading almost everything I can find about sociocracy. So that's one method of research. And I guess um, the other is just to sit down at a meeting and ask a question and have the various parts of myself respond. So at some point, we'll probably have a meeting about how do we want to handle this very large group? We often want to have a meeting of fewer voices Often, um, it seems like not everyone has anything to say on a given topic, but it's hard to know beforehand who is going to need to speak on that topic. And so that's just a puzzle for me to puzzle out. We're going to have a little break um, so that if you have questions that you would like to call in and ask, you don't go straight on air. You can just call and talk to us uh, while everyone else listens to music, and then we can do our best to answer your question on air. So you can call and ask questions. um, And when we come back, we will uh, hear a little bit more and maybe answer those questions. You are listening to... CKTZ 89.5 FM. This is Folk U Radio. And our phone number here is 250-935-0200. And even better than questions is that you call up and say, hey, I want to try this sometime not on air with you, Tamia. So uh, feel free to be part of the research and practice team by calling up and volunteering yourself. Just who you know 
Welcome back to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM or on the World Wide Web at CortezRadio.ca. We have a special Folk U today on sociocracy, and we have been going internal with the amazing holistic governance structure of sociocracy. We have a special guest today, Tamius, taking us on our journey, and we have three additional special guest hosts today from the Cortez Island Academy. We were discussing some questions over the break, um, and the our, our students are going to actually be the ones to ask these questions. So um, we're going to do this. We're, we're sharing mics, so I'm going to have Cora Lee be our first, ask the first question. How is everything you just explained different to dissociative identity disorder? That's a great question. That's like, is Tamius actually as nutty as it seems? (laughs) (laughs) So my understanding of dissociative identity disorder is that it's normal and healthy for our minds to have many parts. And... To show up as an integrated human, all we need is for those parts to have some communication. And if someone is showing up as one character at one moment and then as quite a different character another moment, um, I, you might actually be able to relate that to how it might happen in an organization. If there was a team and someone was coming representing that team, that organization, and telling me something one day... And then the next day, a different person who says they're from the the same organization comes and tells me the opposite thing. That means there are people in the organization who aren't communicating. And that's how I interpret dissociative identity disorder. I I think of it as that non-communication happening within somebody's psyche. Um, I also have a theory about how that happens both in groups and within someone's mind, which I got from Deep Democracy. So Deep Democracy is the other um, really cool thing that I came across in my research about holistic governance, uh, wholesome local governance. And it's a whole um, field of inquiry that we're not going to get into in much depth, but the bit that is relevant for uh, a pattern of split personalities is the Deep Democracy concept of terrorism. The books I've read about deep democracy use the word terrorism in a really broad sense. A person goes into terrorist mode in a group when they stop contributing because they're angry. And maybe they take it all the way to violence. Maybe they take it to sabotaging the process. Or maybe they just get up and walk away, but they don't explain why they're walking away. And that is in the this broad definition of terrorism. Now, how terrorism happens is 
that that person who's not a terrorist yet just has something to say that they think is really important. And if they're in a group that's unstructured or that works with majority vote and they're in a minority or they're just shy and they don't initially say what they need to say, then they might get frustrated. And the more frustrated they get, the more they want to say the thing. But if there's something like uh, some, they're marginalized in some way by the system of the group, then by the time they actually get around to saying their thing that they needed to say all along, they're angry and they simplify it so they can say it louder. And then either it's not very interesting or it doesn't make sense because they've simplified it too much. And the group goes, oh, that's not helpful. Be quiet. We're busy doing this other thing. And they sit there getting more and more frustrated. And then they say it even louder, but they've made it even simpler. And their voice gets louder and their message gets simpler until it turns into something is wrong. Something is horribly wrong. And no one can really help them with that because they're not expressing what they really need. Now, we can help them by saying, oh, what's wrong? And maybe they've lost track of what's wrong and they need some help figuring out what feelings and needs they're expressing. But if it's a really important issue and they've already gotten to yelling as loud as they can, then maybe they become an activist. Maybe they take to direct action. Maybe they're now interfering with processes that the majority is working on. And then maybe that doesn't still doesn't work because the message has gotten so loud it's physical or practical interference and so simple no one really understands what they're trying to make happen. And then they might get all the way into what gets more commonly called terrorism where people get hurt. And it's a natural escalation of someone feeling marginalized at the beginning when they have something to say. So if that happens within somebody's psyche, it's really easy to marginalize a part, especially if that part has something to say that the broader world, the external world, is not going to want to hear. It's really, really easy to marginalize a perspective within our own psyche that is already marginalized out there in the world. And then if we have a really strong part that wants to say that thing that the broader world doesn't want to hear, then they can go into activist mode and then terrorist mode within our own minds and and take over and make us do sometimes really strange, really hurtful things because they have something worthwhile to say and it wasn't heard when they needed it to be heard. Does that answer your question? That was really a very clear, brilliant um, explanation of, of well, both why so many of our government systems right now don't work and why we should care about ourselves and other people feeling marginalized within any system. Love it. Um, okay, we have another question that is actually um, related to this uh, and how we can kind of prevent that. Um, so we are going to have Sonia ask this question. What exactly is consensus? Oh, good question. I was really attached to consensus as a decision-making model before I came across sociocracy. I am not a fan of majority decision-making because I'm so rarely in the majority that it felt like I wasn't in the decision very often. So I was like, we need to use consensus. We need to talk things out until everyone agrees. So 
my understanding of consensus is a group is at consensus when everyone agrees on a decision. Like everyone in the meeting is saying, yes, we'll do that. And that is really great because it does prevent terrorism. If a decision can be made by consensus and then everyone's on board, that's awesome. Where it can be problematic is when there's not a clear definition of agreement or where the standard of agreement is too high. If we're trying to run by consensus and our standard of agreement is everyone's really excited about the idea, then we'll just spend the rest of our lives in a meeting because there's not going to be an idea that everyone thinks is perfect. And that's where consent decision-making comes in in sociocracy because it sets a clear standard of agreement. It's like consent decision-making is like consensus with a clear standard of agreement that's not too demanding so that a group can make a consent decision and move forward without talking forever about what would be the perfect decision. Writing notes so furiously. This is so uh, directly applicable to things in my life right now that it's really helpful. Um, And I think this is exactly why some people feel um, very disinclined towards consensus, have been uh, involved with numerous consensus organizations, and often it becomes endless because you're trying, because the standard hasn't been made clear. Um, And I really like the differentiating consent because as a a more achievable standard of agreement, we're, we're just kind of living with it. This seems like good enough for now, which is a nice practice. Um, so thank you f- uh, for that. And I'm going to stop taking a note long enough to say we have a third and final question from from Sophie. Um, but before Sophie uh, asks her third and final question, I want to ask if you have a, an email or a way that you would invite people to reach out to you who would be interested in exploring this idea of sociocracy for internal work more. Do you have uh, a, a way that they people can reach you? Um, I guess so. I'm hesitating to give out my email, but realizing this is audio and not text, and so bots <laughs> won't be able to read it easily. So if you send me an email at tamius.nettle at protonmail.com and say it's about say in the title line it's about internal sociocracy i will probably be very very excited to hear from you uh i i I like that you're keeping also not too high of a bar you'll probably be pretty excited um do we do we have a final question or like okay so my final question is if someone wants to learn more about external or internal uses of sociocracy is there anything we can like besides reaching out to you is there any way we can learn more about internal sociocracy besides listening to this amazing podcast on repeat uh what else would you recommend they do um to learn more about internal sociocracy it's occurring to me right now that 
Part of the definition of a circle in sociocracy is that it needs at least three members. And if membership drops below three, it's no longer a circle. It, whatever that circle was doing can be held as a role and one or two person can, people can be doing it. But all the meeting processes require minimum of three people, like absolute minimum. So to practice internal sociocracy, maybe you do need access to three different parts of your psyche. And I think that most people can access three different parts. You might want to have a counselor or just a trusted friend with you when you work on that, or just don't be driving a motor vehicle at the time. Because if you're used to thinking of only one part of yourself, other parts might show up not really ready for a meeting. They might show up needing to express themselves emotionally first. So um, most of us have like a dominant adult self that gets stuff done from day to day, and that's usually the easiest to access. And then we might have a more out-of-the-box creative self that might show up more in leisure time or when we're doing certain activities. And that would be a second part to, to try and tune into, just like who, and I'm thinking of the left hand or the non-dominant hand there as well. Um, and then it's really, really common to have child selves at earlier levels of development that are, that I believe can just be healthy, integrated parts of us, but it's rare to have them calm and integrated and ready for a meeting. So the easiest way to find a third part that occurs to me is once you've got your right hand day-to-day, and then your left hand, more creative, out of the box. See if there are child selves who want to show up and be aware that those might be upset children until you've spent some time listening to them and figure out what they need. Like, maybe they need your meeting to happen outside because they're triggered being in a house. Maybe they need to have a particular person with you for them to express themselves. My experience with myself, and I hear that this is generally true of other people, is that once a part is invited to speak, it's probably going to be okay. It might show up really upset and have something to say or not be able to say what it has to say at the beginning, but usually a turn to talk, an invitation to express itself, is the basic thing that a part needs if it's been feeling left out and it's getting upset. Uh, So I certainly don't think there's any harm in inviting exiled parts of ourselves back into our awareness. I think we just need to be a little aware of taking care of those parts when they initially show up because we don't know what kind of state they're going to show up in. Uh, And other than that, I totally recommend learning about sociocracy. (laughs) I think we can all have way more power balance and clarity in our organizations by just having the concepts of sociocracy and being able to bring them in and suggest them to a group when you see that something is needed to be able to say, oh, this might go more smoothly if we were speaking in rounds. Let's have a few rounds. Or we seem to be struggling with this decision. Can we try a consent process and work with one proposal and trying to get consent on it rather than the meeting going all night and trying to get consensus? I'm so inspired. I'm going to, uh, after this, 
not only agree to learn more about sociocracy, but to try to take some of the principles uh, and apply into my daily life externally and at least contemplate doing it internally because I'm so intrigued and inspired. Thank you so much, Tamias, for being a guest. And I would love to have um, each of our students uh, say goodbye. But let's before we before each of you say goodbye, maybe Tamias just wants to say goodbye. And then each student can say goodbye. And if anyone gets inspired, you can also say the station ID. But you don't have to. I'm putting you on spot. Okay, well, thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. And it's awesome to spend some time with you because you're so busy. The only way I can hang out with Manda is by showing up at the radio station when Manda's going to be at the radio station. So it's really good to see you. It's the danger of being my friend. (laughs) (laughs) It really actually went like that to me. She's like, I'd love to see you. And I said, you can come on to Folk Your Radio. (laughs) Which was, and then... And then students also had to come on. So uh, tell us who you are and just say goodbye. I'm Coralie. Um, and thank you, Tamias, for coming in. Um, goodbye. I'm Sophie. And thank you so much for coming in. Goodbye. I'm Sonia. Thank you so much for coming in. Goodbye. <laughs> Does anyone want to say the station ID? Okay, Sophie. You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Radio.ca. That was beautiful. What a radio voice. And this is Folk You Radio. And you have been listening to Sociocracy with Tamias and the students from the Cortez Island Academy. And stay tuned, because next week we have the Hakai Institute coming in with some more students from the Cortez Island Academy. So until then, neighbor, take good care of yourself and all your parts and each other. Whoop. And then maybe I'm going to play outro music, but I've got to do more than one thing at once. Well, this is it, this was it, this is turning out to be very hard to do so many things at once. Okay, I've got it. All right, goodbye. Think. That's it for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk U or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Folk U is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Radio dot C-A. My little brain's almost always got something lame it's got to say. It's embarrassing, all the stupid